Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm Jill Funky, Communications Manager at Sioux Nation Ag Center, and we are so glad you found us. Sit back and listen as our staff hosts welcome guests from all aspects of the livestock production industry. It's our mission at Sioux Nation to arm regional, small, and medium producers with all of the resources we can put in front of them. And now, on with the program. Hello and welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center staff host, Amber Boffman. With me on the show today is David Boxler, who is an extension educator for the University of Nebraska. Thank you for joining us. Well, you're most welcome. On this episode, just in time, as we look forward to turning cattle out to graze, we're talking about fly season and the impact of flies on cattle. You are located in the heart of Nebraska. Can you list the type of flies that affect cattle in your area and in the Midwest region? Well, we have three species that uh, plague uh, livestock producers uh, in our region, and that would be the horn fly, face fly, and stable fly. Let's break it down by types. What can you tell us about the horn fly? Well, it's a, it's a rather small fly, about three-sixteenths of an inch in length. It is a blood-feeding fly, and both sexes will require blood meals. The male averages about 24 blood meals per day, while the female averages about 38 because she needs more blood for uh, egg development. So that's why she feeds a little bit more. And normally they'll take their blood meals during the daylight hours, but they can feed during the night. So that's that's kind of an interesting uh, aspect of of their uh, feeding behavior. Can you tell me about their life cycle and the main season that you see these? Well, with the way the weather is moving forward rather rapidly, we should actually start to see some horn flies appearing in late April. And uh, the further north you go in, into the uh, United States, you'll probably see them uh, a little later on in, in May, uh, depending upon what our weather does. Flies are actually controlled a lot by temperature. So right now, as, we're, as we speak, uh, we're experiencing 90-degree temperatures, which is a little bit too warm, but it's going to expedite their appearance. Their life cycle is four different stages, and they can complete those four stages from egg to adult in as little as 12 days, and that's also uh, dependent upon temperature. The warmer the temperature, the faster the the life cycle will be completed. Now, as we have progressed over the last five to 10 years, we've seen hornfly populations well into the middle of August, or October, I should say, and even in early November, and that's because we've stayed very warm during the fall time. So our fly season is slowly changing as we see changes in the, uh, in the climate. So that, that's rather interesting. And since they have such a, a short life cycle, you can get multiple generations of these flies throughout the summer, which really tends to increase fly numbers. And uh, normally we see two population peaks with this particular fly, one in June, and then the second peak will occur in either late August or early September. And the horn flies overwinter in the third stage of development called the pupil stage. And those are found in the soil beneath manure path. And they'll start the overwintering process in the fall when the internal manure pad temperature drops into the low 60s. So that's kind of a description of the life cycle. Are there any economic losses associated with 
Well, there are significant uh, losses, and on, on a national scale, it's been estimated that uh, livestock producers lose well over a billion dollars per year to, uh, to this particular fly. When you get uh, high numbers of horn flies, they will alter the grazing patterns of cattle and also the, the behavior of the cattle. They'll certainly impact on a negative scale milk production of the mother cow reduce weight gains, and also reduce calf weaning weights. And calf weaning weights can be negatively impacted anywhere from 4 to 15%. And then yearling weights can be impacted as much as, as 18%. And horn flies are known to cause summer mastitis, which is another issue for livestock producers to, to deal with. Can you tell me about economic injury level? The economic injury level is 200 flies per animal or 100 flies per side. And this is a threshold that represents a horn fly population that will negatively impact cattle productivity equal to or more than the cost of control. So it's a fly that the producers need to get a handle on pretty quickly before fly numbers really increase. And toward the end of the fly season, it's not uncommon to see Horn fly populations averaging two to four thousand flies per animal. So, how would you go about monitoring for the horn fly? In order to get a, an assessment of, of what type of fly control you may be using, uh, it's best to look at your cattle during between the hours of 8 a.m. and 11:30 when it's somewhat cooler. As the temperatures rise during the afternoon, horn flies will kind of seek out the the underside of the of the animal, the belly area, where it's much cooler. And if you're out there in the afternoon trying to assess how well your fly control is working, uh, you're not going to get a true assessment because you won't be able to see uh, many of the flies that are in that belly region. And how do you suggest that we control the horn fly? Well, we have a lot of different methods. Uh, we have dust bags and back rubbers or slash oilers, which have been around for a long time. I know that dust bags aren't as frequently used as they used to be, but I do still see a lot of oilers out there by producers. And in many cases, it's based on regionality. Some uh, parts of the country will use more dust bags than oilers and, and vice versa. But the best, uh, get the best performance out of either of those methods, you really need to force the animals to use them. And many times they're set up in a free choice arrangement. And in that situation, you can expect anywhere from 25 to 50% less control from these types of devices uh, over a forced use situation. Pour-ons are very popular, especially as producers prepare to send their cattle to pasture. A lot of people will, will apply a pour-on and they'll, uh, they'll provide about, oh, two weeks of fly control, and then they'll have to be reapplied through the fly season. Animal sprays have been uh, used more frequently in the last 10 to 15 years, and they can be applied by a low-pressure or high-pressure sprayer. Uh, one thing that the producers have to do is gather their cattle and, and corral them to provide an, uh, an adequate application. And during that process, you certainly can increase the stress uh, on the animals during especially a very warm day. 
There's another methodology to apply spray applications, and that's using a mist blower sprayer. This type of sprayer has been used in feedlots and dairies for at least 40 to 50 years. And a lot of producers in, in Nebraska have utilized this type of treatment for pasture cattle, where they put the unit on the back of a pickup and go out when they're checking wells or putting out salt and mineral and actually spray the cattle in the pasture without pinning or corralling them. And that seems to work pretty well for, or for some of the producers. So that's another way of, of applying a spray. Animal sprays will provide anywhere from 7 to 14 days. We do have an oral larvicide or IGR, which is an insect growth regulator, and that's usually incorporated into mineral blocks, tubs, or loose minerals. And it works by killing the developing larvae within the manure pad. One thing that producers need to be aware of is that you need to ensure steady consumption of these products. And in order for it to be really effective, producers need to start using the product 30 days prior to the start of fly season. And then there is a caveat to, the, to this particular methodology. Many times you're going to see corn flies coming in adults and they're going to be unaffected by the feed additive or the, the IGR. And if you have an untreated group of cattle nearby, you may get enough flies from that herd to kind of overshadow the, the control coming from your, your IGR. So you got to keep that in mind. And then we have insecticide ear tags, which have been around for 30 plus years. And some tags have one or two insecticides embedded into a plastic matrix. And how these work is as the animal moves its head or grooms, the tag slowly releases a small amount of product and which goes over the hair coat and kills the flies. Now, to get to maximum effect, you have to apply the tags at appropriate time. In Nebraska, we encourage our producers to wait as long as possible before you apply the ear tag. And we suggest the last week of May or the first week of June. If these insecticide ear tags are applied too early, they may decline in efficacy uh, through the summer. And then when fly numbers get extremely high, there's really no effect. So I also encourage producers to uh, read the label of the product that they're using and apply the number of tags recommended on that label. In the past, a lot of producers in our region would just tag the calf because it's convenient at branding time and not the mother cow, but that combination will really not provide the, the desired level of horn fly control that we're looking for. And then one last item is a compressed air application gun, which is called a vet gun, which shoots a, a little ball of insecticide. And, and that uh, can be used in certain uh, situations, especially with producers who may not be able to corral their cattle or, and have small numbers of cattle. And then there's one other product I'd like to visit with you about today because there's been a huge amount of interest by livestock producers, not only in Nebraska, but other parts of the country. And that's garlic. And it is presented uh, to cattle in either a mineral, pre-mixed mineral, or a person can buy the garlic and mix it in their own mineral or salt. And usually that concentration is about 2% garlic. The theory behind garlic is that garlic has a lot of volatile sulfur-based compounds, which have been shown to have repellency against 
insects, not only flies, but other insects. And it's been theorized that as the organosulfur compounds are metabolized in an animal, it will take these volatile metabolites and it'll go into the blood and transport it to the skin of the animal and emit an odor that would provide a degree of repellency. There hasn't been a lot of scientific work done as far as studies and publications. There's one recent study done in Canada, two-year study, and it was published in 2021. And in this study, they they presented a 2% garlic-infused salt in a free-choice situation and compared the fly numbers on the treated cattle to an untreated group. And in the first year, they saw a 47% reduction in horn fly numbers over the untreated group. But in year two, they saw no difference in fly numbers uh, between the garlic-treated and the untreated cattle. Now, I can give you a, um, an overview of a couple studies that I uh, have com- completed with garlic. And in both cases, garlic failed to lower the fly numbers down and maintain them below the economic injury level of 200. So I have not seen the level of activity that I hear about. So that's the information about garlic. And then we do have one last uh, control method that can be used by a lot of people who want to raise their animals in a, in a natural state or an organic state, and that is a walk-through fly trap. It's called the Bruce fly trap, and this is essentially a big cage where the cattle can walk through, and there's screens in there and wraps that knock the flies off, and they fly up to the top and get trapped in the fly screen. And it's fairly good as far as controlling flies in in that natural way. There's no insecticides used. A friend of mine down in North Carolina did a study last summer with this particular trap, and, and he found about a 40% one percent reduction in fly numbers. So there's increasing interest in using that particular type of fly control device. Thanks, David. There is a lot of good information on that. Can you tell us a little about face flies now? Well, face flies are similar in size to the house fly. They have very similar mouth parts, which we call a sponging mouth part. Except with the face fly, they have what they call prestomal teeth on that mouth part, which are kind of like little projections. And when the fly feeds, these projections kind of scrape and rasp against the eye area, causing it to tear. And that is because the female flies will feed on that tearing. And it's only the females that visit the cattle. The males do not visit the animal for uh, nutrition. They will feed off of uh, flowers, uh, nectar off of flowers. So that's kind of an interesting life cycle there. And there's protein in that secretion from the, the eyes, and, and that's what the female needs to develop the eggs for future generations. The life cycle of this fly is also very interesting. They overwinter as an adult fly, and you'll find them in secluded places like attics and lofts and even tree cavities. And they kind of suspend their development during this period of time. So they're not reproducing. They're just kind of hibernating. And uh, they will stay there until the outside temperature starts to warm. And then they'll be coming out and mating and and looking for hosts to to feed on. 
So their overwintering process really starts when we start losing daylight. When daylight drops below 12 and a half hours, then the face fly begins the overwintering process looking for sheltered areas to, to overwinter. In uh, our part of the world, we can probably see three to four generations per year in these northern latitudes. In the southern regions, it's probably a few more generations than that. And their life cycle, will, on average, will take oh anywhere from 20 to 27 days to go from egg to an adult. So are there any economic losses associated with the face fly? Well, there's certainly feeding uh, of the face fly prompts animals to exhibit a, a huge variety of defensive uh, behaviors. They'll throw their heads, they'll flick their tails, and they'll also bunch together with their heads inwards to avoid the fly from feeding on the eyes. And unfortunately, the face flies can mechanically vector the causative, causative agent of pink eye, which is Morax bovis. It's a bacteria. And there's huge economic losses associated with pink eye because you have to bring the animal in to treat it. You can experience animal weight loss. You have to provide some type of fly control. The labor for treating, because it can take one to two weeks to get the eye back to, to normal. And in some cases, if the eye is not treated, it can, uh, the animal could lose the use of the eye. So it's significant. Yes, it sounds like it. So monitoring, when do you start? What do you look for? You would start looking probably uh, in May, and you'd be watching for flies that are feeding on the face or near the eyes of the, of the cattle. And one real clue is if you get a, an animal that's got excessive tearing, that is a real key that there, there's a fly that is causing some irritation. As that pink eye disease progresses, you can get the cornea that kind of looks opaque, and then complete ulceration, and that's at the, the end point of the, of the disease, and that's probably too late to save the eye. So it's key to watch the animals, to take a look at the animals, to see if you, you get excessive tearing, excessive bunching of the cattle, and that would tell you that you've got possibly a, a, a face fly issue. Because house flies can feed on animals, but usually only animals found near feedlots and dairies. So if you've got a pasture situation and you have flies feeding in that area of the face, you pretty much rest assured that it's a face fly. So that's the way I would monitor for face flies, just watching for flies on, on the face and the behavior of the animal. The control methods, I mean, do they differ any way from what you mentioned with horn flies? The key is to get a treatment close to the face. So insecticide ear tags are probably the number one method to help reduce face fly numbers. They're, they're not going to be 100% effective, but they will help in that manner. Dust bags and oilers, certainly, because as the animals use that dust bag, there's dust that does fall across the face. There are a couple feed-through products that will go after the, the larvae that are developing in the manure pat. There's a, a product called Clarify, which has a, an active ingredient of diflubenzeron, and then there's one called Raybon that works very effectively. A product that we use for hornfly control, which is Altosid as, as a feed-through, will not work against face fly larvae. So, Producers who have a face fly problem 
certainly need to be careful on, on the feed-through that they, they select. Is that because it isn't applied to the face, or why is that not as effective? The feed-through, and that's how alpha-sit is presented as a feed-through in mineral or salt, it just has no activity against the face fly larvae. So it, it will not kill the, the larvae that are developing in the manure pad. I think many times producers will most likely use something that they can apply around the face, maybe even a spray. But I've had better luck using an insecticide ear tag to reduce face fly numbers. All right. Last but not least, what do you know about the stable fly? That's a fly that has been with us for many years and for uh, a long time and has plagued our dairies and feedlots. And then uh, 25 plus years ago, we started to see the fly expand its range into pastures. If producers remember when the round bale feeders became popular, that's when we started to see the stable flies kind of expand its, their range into pasture settings. It's a fly that's about, oh, anywhere from a quarter to three-eighths of an inch in length, similar size to a house fly, but it has a piercing, sucking mouth part, which almost looks like a little needle, and uh, its bite is very, very painful. Both sexes will feed on blood and they normally feed twice a day depending upon weather conditions. If it's cold and rainy, they will only feed maybe once, not even, if it's really bad out, not even that day, but normally two meals per day. Their preferred feeding sites are on the lower legs of cattle, horses, and other livestock, but they can be found feeding on the belly areas of animals, especially cattle. And animals being plagued by stable flies have a lot of defensive behaviors that occur. They'll flick their tails. You'll see skin twitching and especially leg damping. They will stomp their legs continuously to try to dislodge that stable fly. And it takes anywhere from three to five minutes for a stable fly to complete its blood meal. So they're very persistent and their bite is very, very painful. And many times in pasture setting, you will see cattle bunching in the corners of pastures. And you get the dominant animals in the middle of that group, and they're trying to get their legs protected from, from the stable fly bites. But in that process, when they're bunched like that, stress levels increase because it gets very warm in that center area. I've seen fence lines being pushed over by cattle grouping in, in the corners of pastures. So that's a real sign that you've got a stable fly problem if you see those animals bunching in corners of pastures. We're getting a little close to time here. So so I will ask about the life cycle. Okay. Well, uh, the stable fly life cycle usually takes about 20 days from egg to an adult. And this fly differs from the horn fly and stable fly in that the larvae develop in decaying organic material. So winter feeding sites with round bale feeders, and especially if we get a wet spring, is a fantastic place for stable flies to develop. So that's something producers need to be watchful for. The economic losses to stable flies is absolutely significant. Weight gains can be impacted negatively uh, on pastured cattle by 21%. So, and that's with flies averaging less than three and a half flies per leg. So it doesn't take very many flies to impact the weight gain of animals and the behavior of the animals. Monitoring, if you uh, see animals in the corners of pastures, stomping, 
then you have stable flies feeding on your cattle. So that's one classic sign to, to look for. Control uh, methods are unfortunately pretty slim. Pasture sprays are probably the most effective, and that's directing the spray onto the animals, either with a low-pressure sprayer or a mist blower sprayer. And those are the best methods that we have now. We're exploring other methodologies, but we haven't quite found one to be totally effective, but we are continuing our, our research in that area. Thank you, David, for helping us better understand the damage flies can do to an operation and how we can best get ahead of the situation. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time with more guests and topics related to current ag climate.